Hello, and welcome to the Craft Brewed Music Podcast, music interviews for serious listeners. You may have heard of our curated music discovery app. The podcast lets us dig deeper and get to know the creators of that music, as well as others that will broaden your horizons. I'm Brian Horner, founder and curator of Craft Brewed Music, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Aaron Stamen, a Craft Brewed Music artist. Today's guest is Seattle singer-songwriter Dean Johnson. He is recorded as a sideman with country songwriter Davidson Hart Kingsbury and currently lends his lyrical electric guitar and tenor voice to Sons of Rainier, the self-styled hobo dream pop band. Though a highly respected presence within the Seattle music scene, Dean's own songs had been available for consumption only via live performance at intimate venues. That all changed with the release of his debut solo album, Nothing For Me Please, in 2023. Matt Mitchell of Pace Magazine writes, with a gritty guise like Sam Elliott and a heavenly voice like Vince Gill, Johnson's approach to performance is singular. On Nothing For Me Please, his storytelling is front and center, splayed atop troubadour instrumentals that wouldn't be too out of place in Greenwich Village, the Midwestern Prairies, or a coming-of-age film set in 1974. Welcome, Dean. Congratulations on the new album. Sounds like it's been quite a year. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, you guys. Um, it has been really special. I, I, I feel the way my being a non-entity and getting on the streaming platforms for the first time and having a with the first album, I feel um, I, I did, it couldn't have gone better as, as far as being accepted and, and appreciated and supported. I yeah, feel incredibly lucky. Brian and I have been uh, playing music uh, together since high school and uh, uh, at age 16, quite brazenly made our first recording together. Uh, and as a result of that, we have a time capsule of ourselves as immature musicians and uh, rather damning advanced, uh, evidence of uh, some regrettable creative decisions. <laughs> uh, my, I have uh, no regret. <laughs> And uh, my, my subsequent efforts over the years have kind of laid bare the, uh, the agonizing process of a musician struggling to find his voice. Uh, by uh, stark contrast, you seem to have emerged uh, at once as this uh, fully realized entity with uh, beautifully <laughs> crafted songs and uh, delivered with a, a very seasoned voice. Uh, and I know it's not that simple, but uh, if, if you'll permit us, I'd love to delve a bit into your journey kind of behind the scenes in, uh, in becoming a songwriter. Sure. Um, <clears throat> well, first of all, what you just said would be, it would be more exceptional if, if I were 18 or 20 years old, but <laughs> I'm, 50, I'm 50 years old. <laughs> but I, yeah, my album came out on my 50th birthday in case you guys didn't know that. Yeah. On May 5th was um, when I turned 50. Now. So, but my journey started with, and I have a brother who bought me a guitar when I was 14. It was just a crappy classical, and he barely knew how to play. He did know the, the classical chords, um, and he showed me them. And I just tinkered. Basically, I tinkered on the guitar for about the next 15 years, making my own compositions. Sometimes in, in little windows of time, like around 20 years old, I was jamming with friends. But I'm, I mostly just made up guitar stuff and... I didn't start doing any singing until about 30. One, one thing I did uh, right around 30 was I, I, I got myself to learn all of the Everly Brother harmonies. I never felt like I had natural music stuff going on. And a good example of that is I didn't even have a concept of harmonies until I was in my 20s. 
I had I had to sit down with a guitar and try to find the parts and and I and I did that and and subsequently have learned in case you guys aren't aware that that is a a learning curve thing. I've now now that I've gone through that process and um, sung harmonies, I, hearing them and 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 finding parts to sing it comes really naturally. And was your was your approach to guitar um, as someone who is exclusively self-taught by by tinkering uh did people find that uh unique your your, your particular approach to uh to yeah guitar? I, you're exactly right i think um because i was so isolated doing my own guitar tinkering um my voice on the guitar is different and and so yeah with with a band like that any, any band i've been playing guitar and i i just kind of sit down with the songs and make my parts on my own usually and kind of labor over them in a trial and error way. And once I have those parts, um, I just stick to them. And, and they'll develop and get better. And I can, and I can improvise too, but I, I, I like to sit down and make a part for a song, um, ideally, and have it feel really satisfying uh, and feel like that's part of the song. Um, I know that that's not everybody's approach, and it's um, maybe can get stale if you were touring in a band and playing the same part over and over again for years. But, um, that's how I've done it. I've been a slow, I've been a slow process with all developing all of my things. Just. Well, that was my next question. Being a Pacific Northwest based, uh, you know, person and, and, and player, how did it be that you ended up in new Orleans for the recording? So, in the, it was the fall of 2016. I was asked to open up for a woman's band. Uh, Jessie Antonick is her name, and her her band is Pony Hunt. And she was coming from New Orleans, and having me headline a show to just to have, help have people there and stuff. And Sam and Duff, after hearing my set, um, invited me to come record down there. And that was in 2016. And so eventually, I just said. Yeah, what the heck? I knew it was going to be live recording. So that's ever since I got that invitation from those guys originally at that pony hunt show, I just blew it off. I mean, I didn't blow it off, but I, I just like a lot of my behavior has been sort of passive and avoiding things. So the enterprise of going down and recording live didn't sit that well with me. So once you got started in this process, did the uh, did the did the trepidation evaporate away once you kind of got into the, the the process of recording? Yeah, Sam, Gelband, and Charlie and I did about probably like six or eight rehearsals up here before we went down. Um, and those guys are really good. I'd already they, they'd already proven themselves by us playing all, all together in the Sons of Rainier. Um, that that first record of ours got recorded live, and, so, and a lot of the subsequent, the second album got recorded live as well. So I'd already seen how, I mean, those guys were incredible players. So we did that pretty minimal rehearsing stuff and went down there, um, and I didn't have to worry about them at all. I My biggest stresses were just about my own performance, but, but um, Sam Doors and Duff Thompson were, they were so patient, and and caring like they were um you could just they were very earnestly caring about wanting to do things 
They weren't in a hurry. They had, they were at the, right. At, that was, this was the first week of June in 2018. And they were at the end of their longest, most ambitious season of recording. I think it was, they started right after Mardi Gras. So they were like three months plus in a, and they hardly, I don't think they'd really had a day off. So they were tired, but those guys and their care was everything. And having Sam and Charlie there um, from the Sons of Rainier, it, it turned out to be just a, a, a beautiful four days of, of hanging out and, and recording and um, having super fun nights. It was it was one of the best weeks of my life. Where it could have been one of the worst weeks of my life if it would have been. <laughs> and I knew that, but it, yeah, it, ter- it, it turned out to be a really, really good experience for me. The, the album has a, um, uh, a a beautiful sound to it. There's something very austere and rustic about it, and very consistent from from song to song. Was were there a lot of discussions about the production and the the aesthetic that uh, that you were going for? No, there weren't. I we actually I had since I had some um, minimal like I guess it was pro pro tools again at that point. Um, in my bedroom, I did, I recorded the songs to a click track and Sam and Charlie came and recorded parts to them. So just so we had um, demos to send to those guys and and help them prep, but they didn't, I don't think they listened to them at all. Um, we got down there. <laughs> um, so yeah, that first day was just set up the mics, try to get try to get the room balanced because there was no separate. It was a small living room, a pretty naked living room. Um, that first day was yeah, let's get the get the mix basically because the basis of the mix was where they put the mics because because everything bled. There was no separation. Um, and and then I think we recorded one song by the end of that that first Monday night. Um, but yeah, you're. I thanks for saying. I, I agree. Um, especially now that it, um, it, ha- it has been shown to be a loved sound, like the, rec- the record itself, or a lot of people have embraced it. I feel <clears throat> like, yeah, the, the, the mix they got and the overall sound is, they got a, a really good sound. It's Yeah, it's very, it's very intimate and it's, it suits your voice uh, incredibly well. One of my favorite production decisions on the uh, the album was that piano that comes in on the second verse of uh, "Shouldn't Say Mine." Uh, mm-hmm. Has that kind of like almost saloon upright piano, uh, yeah, sound, yeah. which sounds like it's just ble- like bleeding across the to the vocal mic. It sounds very distant, but it's it's uh, uh, there's there's something that's very effective in creating a scene with that uh, with that timbre. <laughs> I 
the decorations that go on it because well that's more if you if we're going to continue on with this aspect of the or of this recording part i will say that um to give you more of a picture of how how things got prepared so we just set up the room and recorded but like on on the wednesday was the first time that we were going to put any extra decoration on it which duff played telecaster on faraway skies um and Steph played Steph Green played um lap steel and Sam Doris played percussion. He did a big lighter and a tambourine. And that's that was on Faraway Skies. So wait, was go that, back a second. It was a, a Bic lighter was part of the percussion setup. <laughs> yeah, on Faraway Skies, you can hear he he clicks it right before the tambourine slaps. If you if you um listen for that. <laughs> and that's and that that's a live performance of the Bic lighter. That's not like that's a, a live a sample. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a live. Yeah, in fact, I think there's a little bit of like a slight, some slight clunkiness in the timing of it, actually. Um, but um, Aaron, even though you're saying it does sound like a like a special in the mix, um, the, there are two overdubs, and it's it's the piano and the organ on "Shouldn't Say Mine." Sam, those were both after. Afterthoughts huh. and Sam Doors did those, and they, those were the last things that happened on Thursday night. And a party had started to happen at the house, and and people are over in the backyard, and, and you can just hear Sam doing pass after pass, trying to like because he kind of starting to party more. And anyway, I can't remember who was the <laughs> organ or the piano that was taking up all the time, but I think everybody was hearing like these small passages of shouldn't say mine for about two hours. <laughs> while he's trying. Anyway, though, yeah, those, those, there are two overdubs and it's the organ and piano on shouldn't say mine. Everything else was live though. Well, the, uh, the piano was, was, was worth all the, all the passes in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Great, yeah great I, I agree. 
So this this record's being made back in 2018, just came out in 2023. Yeah. Um, obviously, there were a lot of obvious reasons to wait <laughs> during part of that time. We've talked to a lot of people who had albums drop in like March of 2020 and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, what was the, you know, what was your kind of um, emotional journey with having this album finished, but sitting for five years? My, my frustration was would just be intermittent and, and not very strong. If I had, if I was um, had really pushed hard, I, we probably would have got the album out before the pandemic. Um, and well, we could have got it out in 2019 if I would have been really hustling the label. But I just mm-hmm. I was going keeping things easy for their timing, and and I just wasn't making it happen. So then the pandemic comes, and doing during the pandemic that was probably the only times where I felt like, gosh, people are so isolated and, and probably willing to really get intimate and familiar with, with people's records right now, just for having to hmm. sit at home so much. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, you, you, you could have harnessed some real angst during that period. <laughs> and, yeah, and, uh, but all in all, I haven't had any extended frustration about it. And I feel like, the timing, what's how it's been received, and everything. I've not to credit timing on that, but I, um, I'm feeling great about it. I mean, we can not, and that's not to delve into me having been so passive with music and releasing my first album at 50. I can be, I can be disappointed in myself for that. But as far as that five year span and stuff, I, yeah, I, it hasn't been anything that was. Yeah, if I could nice. reframe the question for for me, you know, I I can record something and be super excited about it today, listen back tomorrow, and be like, oh, I wish I'd done this. You had five years to dwell <laughs> on those recordings. I mean, what? <laughs> what? Well, I'm curious about that part of the journey. Was it like oh, somebody like, we, we, we're gonna go back and do it all again, or like, oh my god, how are people not hearing this? Or like, depending on the day uh, that I, and what what mood I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Um, I'd say the most significant feelings I had were probably about a month or two before the first single was going to drop. Cause that's when I was like, God, why did I record the album like this? Uh, just because it was so lo-fi hmm. and, and I didn't have confidence that it was that people were going to love the sound necessarily. I thought it could get dismissed pretty easily for being as lo-fi as it was. Well, we we live in an age where where things can be so heightened with the technology there is, and to make everything so perfectly crisp and resonant, and not doing that seems like a, a, an oversight. Uh, but uh, I, I'm I'm glad the production uh, stayed true to this this theme because I think it, in terms of conveying the material and conveying your very unique voice, uh, it, it was an incredibly effective. Uh, environment to keep to keep this music in yeah i agree it really stands out i think it makes it stand out in a good way thank you yeah thanks brian and aaron i i'm glad for the way it is I'm, and and especially in cohesion with the whole experience of doing it with sam doors and duff thompson and, and sam and charlie from the sons of rainier like it is it's i feel really happy about it um i'm a uh, i'm a huge fan of reservation dogs and I uh, only in the uh, last couple months finished uh, season three. Uh, and that moment where Faraway Skies comes on, uh, 
when they're outside as Graham Greene, they're talking about the sky people and the eggplants. I mean, yeah. that's, that is, that is a sublime moment in the whole arc of that show. And just the, I'd, I'd forgotten that, that, that song was going to be there. And when it, when it, when it fades in, it's just such, and the production too is perfect for the whole vibe of that show. Thanks. Uh, I, I can't imagine a better thing at that point. W- were you a fan of the show or aware of the show before that, uh, that was, um, became part of the soundtrack? Well, I, I was aware of the show from, from browsing on, on Hulu, but it wasn't until I, and I, and I watched all the episodes well, uh, well in advance because I was going through the process of, of the communication and whether or not it was even going to get onto the show. So in that time I had, I'd watched them all and, and really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great mix of, of characters and, and humor and, and also real poignant stuff. That's yeah, it's a good blend of. Yeah. And a, and a perspective that I don't think we've ever seen on television before. Yeah. no um, kidding. Com, Coming from a, a native perspective. Yeah. Um, well, how did it, how did it hit you here in, uh, here in that tune? through your TV with the, with some emotional, uh, uh, um, you know, material uh, transpiring on the screen. It was really neat. I was, I was sitting with my girlfriend on the couch and um, in her house here. And it was a good moment. I'll tell you. It's such a great tune. I mean, it, it lends itself very well to that, um, uh, to that, that episode, but the, the song itself uh, has, Kind of what what I consider a uh, a trope in your music, and there's this this kind of a turn um, toward the end where you have this kind of setting the scene of the prairie and the, the tumbleweeds and the uh, the cowboy life in this kind of uh, period uh, realm, and then uh, it, it it dawns on on you at the end with you know down down on the sidewalk, life passes me by. I was too slow for these times. That this is. Um, you know, someone in a, in a modern setting who's perhaps a, a street dweller reminiscing about the uh, the other life that they had. And I, I really find it impressive when a song that's, you know, two and a half, three minutes long can take you on a, uh, on a voyage like that. I got a lightning lesson and my trusty horse blue. I've got a six-shooter, too. I have an old Stetson hat and a shaggy mustache. Yes, I'm at home on the range. Tumbleweed and buffalo, the rivers run wild. Sunset over rolling hills, ghost rider sky, a campfire song tells me feeling just right. Yeah, I'm getting lost in the Milky Way tonight. been too slow for these times 
a homeless guy i've had people interpret it in different ways um and i and i like that it can be a little bit open for interpretation but yeah it is to me it is sort of about a homeless guy just dreaming of a different life yeah it's always it's always better when it's when it's vague enough to be to be open uh to the uh to the listener but speaking to uh back to the reservation dogs um I do want to give a shout out to Mike Bonata from he's he's the head field recording guy um, and the heart and soul of Western AF. Western AF being a, a YouTube channel that has a bunch of field recordings of, yeah. of country art, modern country artists. Some of them pretty obscure, but yeah, he goes around and films people and they get great audio. Um, yeah, and I, well, they get they, they get great video too. That that shot of you with the the windmill behind your head that's awesome. Yeah, great. Yeah, the, the visual is the more significant thing, really. Um, you have a great eye. So yeah, it's Mike Venata who got um, Faraway Skies into the hands of Sterling Harjo, the creator of the show. And I, and I don't know, and that was probably maybe even up to a couple of years ago that he got into Sterling's hands. Um, anyway, thanks to Mike Venata for that. And thanks to Western AF for being one of the most significant reasons my album did come out of the gates with any steam. Um, because I'd had, yeah, I'd, I'd had a song called true. One of the song true love was, was released on their YouTube channel in 2021. And, you know, that's, it got, it got listened to a bunch on there um, and primed people for an album to come out. So I think they're one of my, the most significant PR things I've had. I've got a question yeah. about the title track. Nothing for me, please. Um, mm-hmm. I was surprised to read that that song is almost 20 years old at, at the time of the album. Yeah, it was written in 2004. Um, yeah. what, was that a, did your relationship with that song evolve over the years or was that something that you realized might be a fit or how did that kind of all unfold? Well, it was just, it's one of the songs that I, you know, I guess for making nothing for me, please, or the album itself, I was choosing my songs with my favorite lyrics on it, basically. Um, and that was one of them. I've, I've, I've always liked that song. I, you know, I wrote that song before the giant vampire trend even happened. I mean, Interview with a Vampire had happened, but none of those other, the Twilight stuff hadn't happened yet. And so here, I, you know, I was sitting around in my bedroom wishing that that could be like a theme song for one of those shows, but of course I never made anything happen. <laughs> So anyway, I wanted it to get out in the world. I've, I've always liked the the idea of eternal life um, in any form with a with a human brain is 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 the definition of hell. Like, you know, there's no way out.
jumped in and let the vampire bite them Christ, you drank us dry, but we made heaven Forgotten all our fears, man I'm never gonna die There'll be no more tears Mama, we're forever young We're living in our kingdom come But now it's been a thousand years or less and I'm feeling like I'm pretty well done Could someone pull the plug please Eternity I guess it's not for me Find me the Nothing for me, nothing for me, I say. I want an ending now. Christ, I don't know what yeah. to do. Uh, but I, I love how uh, laconically the, the narrator just kind of politely declines. Says, you know, you can, I, I went out of this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, that that is uh, that I've always liked that song. Um, and and you know, to speak to you, Brian, about the album sitting around for five years, and and also these songs sitting around for some of them for as long as they have. I'm not somebody who s- sits around playing my songs very often. Like, and I and I never, you know, I didn't I didn't gig too much. Relatively, I didn't gig very much at all. So I never heard my songs that much. <laughs> <laughs> During the pandemic, with the album sitting around, you know, I didn't. I, I listened to it sometimes, but not very often. <laughs> so in that way, it was still a little bit new. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I could be surprised. Yeah, if I didn't listen to it for three months, and then I got stoned one night. I could listen to it, and and, and then I'd be, oh man, I've never listened to the album on headphones, and, <laughs> and I'd do that. And so yeah. Well, it's interesting um, that you mentioned that about about uh, not revisiting the songs often um there's there's a quality to to all of them that that feel very lived in uh to my ear and i don't think that somebody you know writing and recording in their 20s can amass you know enough you know love loss and mistakes to uh to to earnestly deliver uh this kind of performance well that's a, that's a really nice compliment. I I appreciate that. Uh, I I mean I might beg to differ a little bit. Hearing sure. I've heard young, I've heard young people who are devastating. Like 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 a, there's recordings of Laura Marling at like 18 years old, and her, her delivery is yeah really sophisticatedly beautiful mm. and crushing. Like and there are there are people like that, but I really I I highly appreciate that compliment. So thank you. Yeah, it, to, to me, it feels like it's 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 infused with uh, what can only come from from experience and uh, and having 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 lived some of the stuff and uh, lived long enough to 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 reflect. 
to me that sort of prompt makes me want to talk about it having those core songs and they're all about kind of possessiveness and jealousy those those are kind of embarrassing i mean they they're written in first person so and and they're very they're things i've felt and that i didn't like feeling um mm -hmm. i don't mean but they make me sound like maybe more of a monster you know I, they're not they are exaggerations um but no, I, we're going to hold you to them literally. Yeah, <laughs> no, we we were going to. This is the next the next act of this whole podcast is just <laughs> analyzing your personality and yeah. <laughs> personality disorder, perhaps, and why it's so, yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. No, I mean the the uh, the the theme of uh, holding on uh, too tightly and and uh, uh, insecurity and and I mean it's such a, a generalizable universal thing. Uh, to everyone who's been in a relationship and anyone who's suffered those insecurities. That's my cat knocking. That's, that's why. Yeah. I mean, it was important. Th those were important things for me to write about. And it's um, because it, yeah, it's, it's just been such a, if, if feeling that stuff has been coming. I know, I know not everybody has those feelings, but a lot of people have had them. And um, so I do feel like it's, it's relatable and, and I'm glad to have written about it, but it is, like playing a solo show and playing a song like Possession is, it's a little bit embarrassing, you know. <laughs> but it's, uh, I mean, it's a performance. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a piece of art that should uh, make people think about themselves and their own lives and their own relationships. And it's, it's a heightened character. And I think people exactly, forget that yeah. sometimes when they watch a, a singer songwriter. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for those. That was well said. Thank you. Um, that's exactly right. My 
personal favorite track on the album is old TV. Uh, and it's for some of those same ref, uh, same reasons, uh, I mentioned before, I, I love songs that have, uh, very specific references like, you know, busting up the TV, getting the copper that are clearly personal to the, uh, to the author. And nonetheless, the song is so universal in its sentiment of longing that uh, a listener like me can graft on whatever their experience is and have a, a very personal and emotional connection to it, even though it has nothing to do with your experience. And that, that song always, whenever that one comes up on the shuffle, uh, always hits me hard. It seems like in my in those songs on on that album, the phrases are as simple as possible, and but try to, there there's an effort to have them put together well and and somewhat uniquely maybe as a combination of words and yeah and the theme, the copper theme is does stand out as a unique thing um, that came from a friend of mine who was she was taught by her grandfather to never walk by an abandoned television without smashing it open and salvaging the copper wire and and she also we were on the telephone and she and we were talking about we're joking about smashing tvs and she said yeah maybe then we could afford a little piece of meat so that actually came from her as well on the horizon for you well i've just started working with a booking agency ground control touring and that we're shaping up the whole year right now great uh, how can uh, how can how can folks find out about the uh, the dates well if you find my my instagram handle is dean john songs you can go to the link tree in the bio and that and that'll take you right to um you can click on the tour stuff or deanjohnsongs.com is my website, and that'll have those links too. I hope that uh, whatever the uh, the schedule is, uh, you get to take a pause and enjoy it. Sounds like a special time. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, thanks for talking with us. We've really enjoyed the music. Thanks for listening, you guys, and and thank you for this conversation. I I loved your I loved talking to you guys. Likewise. <laughs>